Hi friends! Welcome back to the Hill of Roses, where we come once again to celebrate the best works of the social left and debate the policy positions of the movement we create together. Thanks for tuning in last week to see the report card of the Bernie Sanders CNN Town Hall event. As we announced last week, as the episode formats become further honed, I have started a ritual of releasing a new poll along with the episodes for all of you to deliberate upon, and if you provide commentary, it likely will appear on the show. So first, we'll be covering the results from the past week, and then we'll get into celebrating this week's featured work by Represent Us. So this past week's poll was on a fundamental strategy question about how we bring about social democracy. The question was, is the best path forward through the Democratic Party, an existing third party, the formation of a new party, or something else entirely? From the 40 responses you all provided, two answers stood neck and neck above the rest, with one vote separating them. Our audience has decided through a narrow victory that the path forward to a social democracy is to form a new party compared to staying with the existing Democratic Party. Furthermore, if we had considered a runoff vote, it is in my opinion that the people who had selected an existing third party or other would be more inclined to select a new party over staying with the Democratic Party and likely lead to a 10-vote lead or a 62.5% amount of the vote. It's in my opinion that you all are correct. Even if an admirable politician like Bernie Sanders becomes our party's nominee, our country's, or even our country's president, even in victory, far too much of the party embraces a moderate corporate-focused belief that has led to 23 seats in the House and 11 seats in the Senate to be lost since their movement began under Bill Clinton in 1992. This exact reason is part of the reason why our logo is what it is. Because the Democratic Party needs to take a hard look at the social wave of the party and either embrace it or have them defect in search of another hill to stand on. The Democratic Party has time and time again demonstrated a failed strategy to look to embrace suburban moderates rather than a broad working class coalition, which has lost uh, us as a party, rural areas of the country to Republicans, and depresses the turnout of urban areas of America in which there is a loyal base. The Democratic Party has shown a lack of unity within its own ranks to come out and condemn progressives like Ilhan Omar for perceived anti-Semitism when she was solely critiquing a lobby with foreign national connections from financially influencing our representatives while not calling for official condemnation uh, of individuals like Steve King or Jim Jordan for their bigoted remarks. The Democratic Party has failed us when it comes to our foreign policy by further encouraging interventionist regime change efforts in Venezuela while condemning our president for trying to make peace with North Korea and supporting sanctions uh, back in 2018 that would endanger the Iran deal. Furthermore, the Democratic Party has failed us because when progressives like Ro Khanna lead efforts to pull our military support to Saudi Arabia in their conflict with Yemen, 
Democrats support amendments that still allow the U.S. to give intelligence assistance to the Saudis. The Democratic Party has failed us when it comes to health care by failing to fully embrace Medicare for all, a uh, single-payer system, instead of in propping up enhancements to the existing ACA, leaving 30 million un uh, uninsured and 40 million underinsured and the cost to be significantly higher than it could be. The Democratic Party has failed us when senior leaders condescendingly address young constituents about a need for pragmatism and experience in defense of not supporting the Green New Deal, which will spend $10 trillion to help fight against the global security threat of climate change. The Democratic Party has failed us when our party fails to hold the pledge preventing the, exist, uh, the acceptance of oil and gas PAC money uh, from corporations for campaign contributions. The Democratic Party has failed us when it shoots itself in the foot with PAYGO rules, preventing us from trying to implement progressive policies after initial uh, annual budgets have been passed unless we want to cut other programs. The Democratic Party has failed us when a governor like Cuomo promises expanding paid job leave for bereavement during, campaign, during the campaign, but then when in office, uh, he vetoes bills allowing just that. Obviously, we could go even more in on Cuomo for his support of IDF, but that will have to be left for another time. The Democratic Party has failed us when 17 Senate Democrats joined together to weaken Dodd-Frank Wall Street regulation with the Crapo Bill. The Democratic Party has failed us when they attack our First Amendment rights with anti-BDS bills that 21 Democratic senators supported. The Democratic Party has failed us when Native American land rights were being violated back in 2016 with the Dakota Access Pipeline under Obama, and yet most of the party remained absolutely silent. The Democratic Party has failed us when the process of putting immigrant children in cages also started under Obama. The Democratic Party has failed us when the majority have voted in favor of increasing military budget spending by around 10% while Trump has been in office. The Democratic Party has failed us when they vote with Trump nearly 26% of the time and 16 members in the last Congress supported Trump over 50% of the time while Republicans only vote against Trump a little over 7%. The Democratic Party has failed us when 26 House members destroy leverage on immigration reform by allowing ICE to be notified whenever a non-citizen tries to purchase a firearm. The Democratic Party has failed us when our so-called star lefty progressives like Elizabeth Warren are unwilling to forgo corporate PAC money in a general election because she's more afraid of unilateral disarmament than foregoing principles of representing the average working person. Finally, the Democratic Party has failed us when 101 of its members openly embrace a globally center-right ideology by being members of the New Democrat Coalition. I believe, even under a Sanders presidency, these failures are still insurmountable for us to keep pledging support to the party rather than investing time and money into building a new party. Partially, the reason I believe this is twofold. 
Ideologically, there is a stark difference between the two wings. One idolizing policies implemented under presidents like FDR, while others idolize presidents more like, you know, Republicans like Reagan. And secondly, we've seen a prioritization from the other side to attack progressives over Republicans with cases like Ilhan Omar or the 2016 primary process being skewed against Bernie Sanders. In current events, there is a great parallel being played out in the UK as they deal with their Brexit crisis and similar manufactured crises of anti-Semitism, eventually leading to a split and the formation of a more centrist, the independent group. While some members have already left, a continuing attack persists still within the Labour Party, leading to a new caucus to form led by Tom Watson called the Future Britain Group. It's clear that as a social movement grows inside a big tent coalition of a left-leaning party, that centrists will always be roadblocks for lefties to overcome. However, when momentum swings in our favor, we must be proactive in seizing the mantle and putting forth a mission statement for all members to rally behind. Given the entrenched nature of centrist ideologies in state party establishments across the country, of which I've witnessed firsthand, you know, destroy my hometown of Ramapo, New York, with the land being overdeveloped, it is necessary to embrace other parties to remove those interests because the national body of the DNC either fails to make sure local parties are aligned closely to the national platform, or the national platform has become so hollow that there is truly nothing to enforce. It is incredibly difficult to start a successful new party due to the time it takes to build up a national infrastructure to support campaigns and enough marketing to make sure the national population is both aware of you and what you actually stand for. However, there is historical precedent for a shift in the party to occur in the near future, as in our history as America, the average change in political parties is every 30 years, with that time span increasing as our country has become older. The last time there was a major shift in our parties was the early 1970s after the Civil Rights Act in the 60s, largely caused a flip in Democrat and Republican support due to Southern Democrats leaving the party to join Republicans. We are due for a change, and I believe the path forward will be the awakening that will occur under a Bernie Sanders presidency that the Democratic Party refuses to work with our desires even when we, as the majority, put Bernie into office. Far too long, our movement has been tied down and left open to the smear of liberalism from Republicans because for too long, our representatives have sacrificed American bipartisanship for D.C. bipartisanship. Now, no party can ever represent all of our beliefs. However, it is absolutely necessary that we have a common set of core principles and policy that unite us that no member should ever waver on. This is important because if you ask the public what Democrats stand for, you will get a lot of different answers based on who you asked. While if you ask the public what Republicans stand for, both Republicans and Democrats usually answer similarly. They're for gun rights, 
they're anti-illegal immigration, and they're anti-abortion. So I'm going to leave this to you, the fans, to comment below on your thoughts of what potentially a three to five central pillars could be like of a new party that we form. Uh, I'll likely utilize some of the ideas that you generate for future polls so that we can build what those cohesive tenants are. So for useful reference, when you're coming up with ideas, I've also included in the description section my handy ideology guide for you all that describes my personal positions as well as my rankings of the 2020 candidates and of all-time Supreme Court judges. So now that you know my thoughts that the path forward for social democracy is through a new party, let's turn our attention to the piece we are celebrating this week by Represent Us. So I'm going to show you a video that they recently came out with and I'm going to break it down along the way to explain why I think both the work that they're doing as well as the framing of the argument that they are making are so important. So let's give that a watch now. We are witnessing a total political system failure in America. If you're anything like me, you may find yourself constantly overwhelmed by everything that's wrong with politics. And when I say politics, I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans. I'm talking about the flaws that exist in our political system, regardless of which party is in power. And I know it's hard to talk about politics these days, but look, the government is ours. We pay for it, so it needs to work for us. And right now it doesn't, and I mean it really doesn't. So what's going on here? Is it Russian meddling and social media? Is it him? Is it her? No. Those two were the least popular presidential candidates since they began keeping track of such things. Only 4% of Americans have a great deal of confidence in Congress now. Just 4%. America is no longer even considered a full democracy. We are witnessing a total political system failure in America, which is the complete opposite of what our nation's founders had in mind. So this first part is so important because it highlights exactly what we started our video out with, but ours was a little bit more from a lefty framing. So our political system is broken, and our supposed representative body is not feeling representative of us anymore. By starting off with a strong declarative statement, an audience is gripped to lend its ears especially when it's highlighted in congressional approval ratings, uh, how little faith in our system there is. By focusing on a nonpartisan, independent stance, the movement they're starting and the argument that follows can be well-received from almost any audience feeling pain from our political strife. Finally, it continues its effort to stay nonpartisan by dismissing excuses commonly used to trivialize it as a solely 2016 issue uh, by stating how both the candidates were the least popular of all time. So let's go back now and continue to watch more. So I'm going to show you three lines that show what's causing this failure, how we can fix it, and what you can do about it. So here's your first line. What I want you to do is take any issue you really care about and picture it on this line. This line comes from a Princeton University study that shows how public opinion influences the laws that Congress does or doesn't pass. They looked at 1,800 public opinion polls over a 20-year period 
and we took their data and plotted it in this chart. See this horizontal line? That shows public support for a law amongst average Americans. This vertical line? That shows the likelihood of the public support leading to the passage of a law. When you plot it for the average American, you get a line that looks like this. There's your issue sitting on that line. If there is zero support for a law, there's about a 30% chance that Congress is going to pass it. And if there is 100% support for something, the most popular thing ever, there's still a 30% chance that Congress is gonna pass it. So the line is horizontal because no matter how much support there is among average Americans, there's still a 30% chance that Congress is gonna pass that law. Princeton determined that the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near zero, statistically non-significant impact on public policy. How in the hell? So, after capturing the audience's attention, stating our system is broken and showing evidence through approval ratings of Congress that this is a bipartisan matter, Jennifer Lawrence further highlights how ludicrous our system is that no matter what issue you care about, whether it be radical with little support or overwhelmingly supported by your fellow countrymen, it doesn't matter. It's unlikely to happen for it to get done for you. While we all divide as a country on polarizing issues, all of our voices are ignored and compromise of getting 30% of what you want is deeply frustrating regardless of your per political persuasion. For those well-off, political dysfunction does them little harm, as they'll be well-off regardless. But when DC isn't working, the most vulnerable are left high and dry for both support and protection. Now let's get back to Jennifer to see how this has happened. How does that happen? Consider this. Politicians are spending up to 70% of their time raising funds for re-election after they get into office. Why? Because in order to win a seat in the Senate in some races, you would have to raise $45,000 every single day, 365 days a year for six years to raise enough money to win. Now consider that only 0.05% of Americans give more than $10,000 to politics. And then you see why politicians have become completely dependent on the 0.05% of Americans, billionaires and special interest groups, who fund their campaigns. Meanwhile, you've got lobbyists writing our laws and donating to the politicians who pass them. We have a two-party duopoly of Democrats and Republicans that makes it so that independents can't win, while the American people are leaving the major parties in droves. As you can see here, nearly half of American voters are now registered independent. And then there's gerrymandering, with politicians drawing the boundaries of their own voting districts into crazy shapes designed to prevent competition. Today, only 14% of House campaigns are actually competitive. 86% of them are not. And we wonder why young people feel that their vote doesn't matter. I've covered a lot here, but it all adds up to this vast ring of influence over our elected leaders. It's a corrupt system in which we, the people, have near zero influence over our own government. And that is sad. That is not the country I feel like I grew up in. But what's worse is that by allowing this to happen, we are causing the failure of the most important issues facing our nation. 
We're wasting trillions of dollars a year on fraud and abuse in our own government. One in five American children live in poverty. Our healthcare is the most expensive in the world. We have more people in prison per capita than Russia and China. We're losing jobs to the rest of the world, and we're not even doing enough to keep our air and our water clean for our children. America was founded on the promise of self-governance, but instead we have statistically non-significant impact on public policy. So, she absolutely nailed the reasoning. The rules in which our politics is played is broken, and it incentivizes both parties to betray our interests. Money in politics is a Pandora's box we've opened, and stuffing it back into that box is not easy. But its corrupting force in tainting the supposed will of the constituency in the mind of a politician is something we must fight back into submission so that they spend that 70% of time, uh, instead of raising money, working for us rather than, you know, putting more into the campaign war chest. The system is further bastardized when the way in which the lines dividing our voting districts only make 14% of races competitive and further concentrate the power pouring money into an election uh, that this can cause. Uh, so this has led to massive unaddressed issues that our legislative body has seemed incapable of handling and in turn, the largest representation of individuals in our country becoming independents. In particular, the young and fastest growing share of our electorate population, millennials. So as an information generation, we've seen that both parties aren't representing our political needs and why we at the Hill of Roses support making a final stand to unite the soul of the Democratic Party to fix these issues or be forced to build a new ship to sail away on. So let's return now to watch Josh Silver, the director of Represent Us, elaborate on what he believes we can do to address this issue. So the question is how do we unrig this system? I'm obsessed with this idea, not just of unrigging it, but actually fixing it. That's when I met Josh. This is it. This is the issue behind the issues. If we fix the system, we'll have so much more power to fix everything else. So I spoke to some of the most brilliant people in the country constitutional scholar Lawrence Lessig, Zephyr Teachout, and dozens of other constitutional scholars and experts and strategists. They all said the same thing. You could pass a law that would stop political bribery and fix our broken elections, and if you could do that, you could wrest power away from the corrupt establishment and put it back in the hands of the people. Here's how you fix our broken elections. End gerrymandering with independent redistricting commissions. Create ranked choice voting so third parties and independents can run and win. Implement automatic voter registration and vote from home. And here's how we can crack down on political bribery. Overhaul lobbying and ethics laws and close the revolving doors so politicians can't be bribed with high-paying job offers. Mandate full transparency of political spending so we know who's trying to buy influence. Give every voter a $50 or $100 tax voucher so politicians spend time fundraising from their constituents, not just that 0.05% that I talked about earlier. If you could pass even just some of these reforms, you would undo that ring of influence and begin to reinstate we the people as the most important influence over our elected leaders. So we took all of these reforms and put them in a model law and named it the Anti-Corruption Act. And get this, 87% of Americans support making the Anti-Corruption Act the law of the land. Look at the breakdown. 
91% of Democrats and 83% of Republicans. It's incredible. Now you might be thinking nine out of 10 Americans, surely Congress will pass it. But on this issue, more than any other issue, it's like asking the fox to put a lock on the hen house. Politicians won in the current system and they have an incentive not to fix it. So we need to go around Congress, in this case, by passing anti-corruption acts in cities and states all across America. Now, every time I say this, people look at me and say, how does passing city and state laws lead to fixing all of these problems with the federal? So this section is why I chose to feature this video for you all today. The solutions to the utterly chaotic mess, a bill containing acts to address the rules of the game so that it doesn't feel like we start with two outs every time we step up to bat on an issue. Uh, most of these issues I've advocated on my personal page at My Life is Munits for months because they're fundamental roadblocks to fixing all other issues we as leftists want to address, and they added in even more good ideas, such as voter vouchers, so that even our poorest individuals who have no savings uh, can give uh, contributions to candidates that they care about. 87% of the people support the bill they put together. But as they said, getting the fox to lock the hen house will be no easy matter and is partially the reason new parties sprout, to address issues left by existing parties. However, I will admit, it is highly encouraging that the Democratic Party in this term of Congress has passed H.R. 1 for the People Act in the House, which does many of the same things as the Represent Us Anti-Corruption Act, minus the very important ranked choice voting. Because in my belief, they're scared of new parties encroaching on the duopoly, but credit where it is due for Representative John Sarbanes for sponsoring the legislation going now to the Senate. So let's go back to Jennifer Lawrence to explain why we need to be working locally and at the state level to make sure reforms like this get implemented. Government. Can I do this part? Go for it. So first of all, the U.S. Constitution gives states sole control over how elections are run, even federal elections. So when we fix gerrymandering or election laws, that fixes a federal election in each state. That means that by going state by state, we have an immediate impact on how we elect Congress and how we hold them accountable. But there's more, and that brings us to our second line. This line is from a Bloomberg News study. It finds that throughout American history, passing state laws leads to federal victory. Let me show you what I mean. This chart shows the number of states over time that pass laws giving women the right to vote. When it hits the right side of the chart, that's the federal victory. Okay, now I want you to watch the blue line. We're gonna do this again with interracial marriage. There were a few states in the Northeast that made it legal decades ago, and centuries go by, and we hit this blue line where all of a sudden there's a rush of activity, which leads pretty quickly to federal passage. So here we are again with same-sex marriage. One state, Massachusetts, for many years. A couple decades later, we hit that blue line. A jump in state activity and federal passage. This isn't about these issues. This is about a winning political strategy. The crucial finding in the Bloomberg study is that a key event, often a court decision or a grassroots campaign reaching maturity, triggers a rush of state activity that ultimately leads to a change in federal law. So fixing this problem is possible, but how do we create our trigger moment for this issue? Well, the grassroots campaign from the study, that's represent us. We're bringing conservatives and progressives together to pass anti-corruption laws all across America using three strategic innovations. 
right-left coalitions calling out corruption and building a movement, a big movement. And I'm gonna break them down for you. Can I do this part? No. First, right-left. This is how people self-identify in America. This isn't party identification. This is how you feel politically. And as you can see, it's 25% liberal, 36% conservative, and 34% moderate. But for the past 40 years on the reforms I've outlined, it's liberal speaking to liberals using liberal language with liberal messengers, liberal. I just had to say that one more time. And you're just not gonna change the political power structure of America with 25% of the people. Fixing corruption requires that we enlist all Americans, liberal, conservatives, and moderates who, as we've shown, overwhelmingly support reform. Number two, corruption. When we talk about money in politics, gerrymandering, democracy, campaign finance reform, most people just tune out. But people are fired up about corruption. And number three, we must build a movement, a big movement comprised of all kinds of people from all across America fighting to pass anti-corruption laws and then make sure they are implemented and protected. So again, liberals and conservatives working together, corruption, and build a movement. This is the foundation of Represent Us. We believe the government should work for every American, not just a handful of billionaires and special interests, but it's not just an idea. In a few years, we've already racked up 85 wins all across the country. And if we can get those 85 wins to 850 wins, we can fix our corrupt political system, save America, and get to work on fixing everything else that's broken in our country. This is how we build this movement big enough to trigger that rush of state activity that leads to a change in federal law. And that brings us to our last line. So as Jennifer relays, we as the United States of America have the ability to control how our elections function on a state level, and so our overhaul does not need to occur all in one fell swoop, but through the building up of a grassroots movement. In parallel to the beginning of the video, the Bernie social movement has had a similar grassroots effect, and so hopefully in its maturity, its second round through can bring about a trigger moment for the Democratic Party. However, through suspected internal sabotage, and he is derailed by his own caucusing party while in office or in the general election or most likely at the nominating convention, a necessary division will need to take place, whether that be forming a new party ourselves or pressuring dissenting remaining centrist members to form their own. The reason I compare this bill to Bernie's movement is the central tenet of his campaign is removing the labels of left and right America and uniting us for working people's issues against, you know, corporate interests like represent us has mentioned, like billionaires and special interests. So a new party movement, in my opinion, is my expectation of necessary actions to take on uh, existing factions of the party. But if we as a party can coalesce around a platform similar to that of which uh, Bernie Sanders has produced uh, so that we can bring in many of these independent voices, then potentially we at the Hill of Roses will be pleasantly disproven. I think the 38% of you who voted for the Democratic Party in the poll is the perfect embodiment of the odds I would also put on successfully reforming the party. So I'm very appreciative of you all also giving that opinion because although I'm cynical on it and I doubt your answer will be correct, I'm hoping to be proven wrong. 
So let's conclude our analysis now with Jennifer telling us all how we can help out the Represent Us movement before we wrap up today's episode. Right now, this is you. And right now, these are all of the ways that you can help us go state by state, city by city, to fix the corruption in American politics. Volunteer and join a Represent Us chapter. Or if that's not your thing, join the Commonwealth to make a monthly donation in support of someone who does volunteer. 100% of your money goes straight to passing these laws, not to overhead or our expenses. Every voice matters. Your voice matters. If you do nothing, nothing changes. But if we all do a little, we can win together. So the only question left is this. Will you cross that line? Join us at represent.us. So I hope you all will help out represent us. I already put my name on their volunteer list and have been trying to reach out to see how my local DSA chapter can work with Represent Us for Hudson County, New Jersey. So that'll do it, friends. If you liked what you watched or heard today, please make sure you subscribe and give us a like or a rating. It's the only way we show that roses are growing upon our hill. Until next time, stay rosy.